I want to ask you if you've ever felt like uh, Cindy Lou Who at Christmas. <laughs> Especially the Cindy Lou Who from the first two-thirds of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Remember little Cindy Lou Who? Tortured soul. Wonder if there's more to Christmas than just Whoville doing Whoish things, going crazy, purchasing, buying, planning, fighting over lighting. Surely there must be more to Christmas than just this materialistic mess. Do you ever feel like Cindy Lou Who? Cindy Lou Who was filled with doubt. The first part of that story, she doesn't really believe in Christmas anymore. She famously sings that beautiful song, Where Are You, Christmas? Why Can't I Find You? Where Are You, Christmas? Remember the line where she asks if Christmas has changed or is it just me? Did Christmas change or just me? She's filled with doubt. If you've ever been filled with doubt at Christmas, you're in very good company, not just cartoon character company, but there are real people around you in these weeks leading up to Christmas. There's Real people around you in this room who have struggled with doubt when it comes to Christmas. Cindy Lou who is dealing in the first half of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas with deep existential pain. You can bet that they cast Taylor Momsen, the little girl, because of that deep existential pain that plays in her eyes. As the camera slowly pushes in on her as she sits at her window and reflects on the fact that Christmas has lost its meaning. If you've ever dealt with deep existential pain, I just want to remind you that you are in good company this Christmas. You are not the only one who's ever dealt with deep existential pain this time of year. Maybe you feel like Cindy Lou Who this Christmas, wondering if there must be more. Isn't there more than this? Christmas is fine when you're a kid, if you live in a family where Christmas is able to be celebrated in a fashion that is common amongst your neighbors and friends. But as you age, surely you have dealt with a Christmas that has lost its luster. Where you realize that you're not going to be able to buy every single thing your kids want. And you're not going to get what you really want. And then you get to that awful Christmas when you realize that no matter what you get, it's never enough. I want to invite you this Christmas to consider exchanging your Cindy Lou Who-ness for some Zachariah-ness. I want to invite you to exchange your doubting, painful, dissatisfied, Western, materialistic point of view for that of an ancient, elite leader who just run into a freight, ter- freight train called the Most High God. And this is what he said. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has redeemed and visited his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, here he's speaking to his son John, who will grow up to be known as John the Baptist, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people and the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, and to guide our feet into the pathways of peace. Man, I love that. I love Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. I love that I get to come to it every single year. I love that for me, over 25 years of pastoral ministry, they have become cornerstone biblical chapters. I love that I know it by heart. I love that I can hear the words ringing in my head as I meditate on preaching this sermon to you this morning. I love this story. Zechariah is the father of one who would be known as John the Baptist. John the Baptist, the Bible says, is the greatest man who ever lived. Okay, accepting Jesus, of course, who was the God-man. So he's got a leg up on all of us. So accepting Jesus, John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever lived, and Zechariah was his father. Zechariah has had a very interesting pre-Christmas season. He was a priest in Jerusalem, which means he was part of the elite leadership of that city, part of the elite leadership of the nation of Israel. He was part of the top 1%. And it was his priestly group's turn to minister in the temple that year. And as part of this, they drew lots to see which one of those priests would get to go into the holy place to burn incense before the Lord. In the holy place, not the most holy place, but in the holy place, there was an altar for incense. The candelabra, the menorah, was on the right-hand side. And the curtain was directly in front of him. So if he would have been standing here, he would have been standing where I am, lighting the incense, the candelabra is to his right. And then imagine that this stage is the most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant sat between the two cherubim, the mercy seat where the presence of God was believed to dwell physically. Zechariah is standing that close to the most holy place. He's standing mere feet from the holiest place in all of Judaism. And he gets to light incense and burn it before the Lord because the lot fell to him. And as he stands there, performing his ministry before the Lord, an angel appears to him. And this is no less than the angel Gabriel. One of the chief archangels of the biblical story. And he says to Zechariah, short form, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son. Even though you're old, even though to this point your wife has been barren, you will have a son. And Zechariah, who's an educated man, an elite leader, doubts the angelic messenger. If you ever feel like you're kind of stupid because you don't get this faith thing exactly right, again, you're biblical. Imagine, this is a priest standing in the holy place, burning incense before the Lord, standing feet from the most holy place, and Gabriel shows up like you'd have me at hello by that point, right? I'll believe anything you say. But this shows how deeply seated doubt is in the human heart, right? So if you're dealing with doubt this year, I just want you again to know you're in good company because he doubts the message of Gabriel. He says, how could this be? My wife is super old and totally barren. What are you talking about? And I love this. Gabriel takes umbrage. He's upset. He says to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of the Most High God and you have the temerity to doubt my words. I mean, he doesn't say it exactly like that. But he's not impressed. He's so not impressed in the fact that he strikes Zechariah dumb. He says, you know what? You're not going to be able to speak until my word is fulfilled. So Zechariah stumbles his way out of the holy place, and he can't speak. The Bible's so awesome. 
<laughs> I forget the exact words, but it's like, and his fellow priests perceived that he must have had a vision. Right? No kidding! <laughs> he can't talk! So they send him home, and his wife is like, this is the best Christmas ever. A quiet husband for nine months. Yay, Jehovah! <laughs> can't talk for nine months. Nine months later, his wife Elizabeth gives birth to a baby boy. Now, Gabriel had actually told Zechariah what to call the boy. He said, call him John. So he must have written it out somehow to his wife, because when it comes time to name the boy, they say, what shall we name him? And Elizabeth says, his name is John. And the people are like, what are you talking about? There's no Johns in your family line. You're just going to call him, like, Zechariah Jr.? No, his name is John. They don't listen to her. So she gives the tablet to her husband. <laughs> she, I'm sure she's been, like, judiciously giving him the tablet throughout the last nine months. She wants him to say something. Otherwise, no tablet for you. Uh, what should we call him, honey? His name is John. Boom. The minute he confesses this, his tongue is loosed, and he begins to sing the words I just read. Okay, so I want you to understand the enormity of this utterance, right? This, this pours from him. Yes, we know that the Gospels were compiled after the events happened, and I wouldn't be surprised if some of the scribes over the years who handled God's word you know, improved a word here, embellished a word there, especially last week of Mary, right, when she sings that epic Magnificat, right? I always like, yeah, a little girl from Nazareth probably couldn't write prose quite that beautifully. But I'm sure that the New Testament writers were capturing the essence of the moment, and I'm sure that that's what's happening here with Zechariah. He bursts forth in prophecy, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I just want to say that like Cindy Lou Who, like you, Zechariah and Elizabeth's life was absolutely business as usual until heaven stepped in. Zechariah's encounter with heaven changed everything for him, starting with his point of view. What's the hook to this series this month? Five Christmas stories that can change your story. Okay, Life is different when you have the right point of view. The point for today's sermon is this. Life looks different when you put God in the highest place. Later on, he refers to this Messiah who is coming as the Most High God. Zechariah clearly understands who God is and clearly understands who God's Messiah is. Life looks different when God is in the highest place. When God is in the highest place, here's the thesis, the hook, the big idea to today's sermon. When he's in that highest place, we look back in faith to look forward in hope, but not otherwise. When he's in the highest place, that is when his people are enabled to look back in faith so that they may look forward in hope. I want to divide today's passage into three sections for you as we unpack it. The first section is looking back. There's two sections. So the first two sections include looking back. These will involve verses 67 through 70, and verses 71 through 75. And then if we've looked back for two sections, we will look forward in the third section. Section 3 will include verses 76 through 79. And my hope here is to see if I can inspire you to look back in faith like Zechariah so that you can look forward in hope. Part 1, verses 67 through 70. Looking back. Here's what's happening in this first section of looking back. We're seeing who God is. Okay, this is what's happening in this section. We see here a picture of who God is. Let me read the verses for you. 
67 through 70. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, so fixate now on all the things that God is here. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. We see here a very beautiful picture. In fact, I think it's an inspiring picture of who God is. Let me just unpack it for you, phrase by phrase, word by word. You see it there on screen, verses 67 through 70. First thing, he is blessed. You could expand this and say only God is blessed. Okay, in a Christian cosmology, only God is blessed. Everything else we do falls short of blessedness. Only God is worthy of your worship. Only God is worthy of having that highest place in your life. By extension, if any other thing attempts to ascend God's throne in your life, you are in for a life of misery and despair because only God is blessed. God is blessed. Bless the Lord. Think of all the times in Scripture we see God's people blessing the Lord. I just want to encourage you that blessing the Lord ought to be a reflex action in the people of God. As you drive and listen to worship music, you should find a reflexive blessing of God bursting from you from time to time. For me, I often just tear up and say, thank you, Lord, because I can't do anything else. Even this morning, driving here, listening to the worship playlist, I always listen to on my way to church. I'm just unconsciously uttering blessings. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. My grandparents were like this. My parents are like this. My aunts and uncles are like this. Couldn't go anywhere without them. Just You hear them mumbling all the time. Bless the Lord. It's very Pentecostal. It's very awesome. You should try it sometime. But yet, bless the Lord. <laughs> I was walking into Market Fresh last weekend, and they're playing Christmas carols. And it was, oh, come let us adore him. Somebody, somewhere, who put the playlist together, snuck a little Jesus in amongst the jingle bells. And as I walked the aisles to buy my scones, it's just, I got a little Pentecostal and Mark, yes, bless you, Lord. <laughs> Woo! He's blessed. He's a visitor. He's a visitor. For he has visited. Do you realize that God visits your life? He doesn't visit once in the Incarnation and then stop. The Incarnation is the entryway for God's Spirit to eventually dwell amongst the children of God. He visits. He's a visitor. You go to great lengths to prepare your house for visitors at Christmas, yes? Have you neglected your heart? Stop it. God, God wants to visit. He's a visitor. Oh, bless the Lord. He's a redeemer. You know what it means to redeem? To buy back. Especially to buy back something that the person who needs it bought back can't buy. <laughs> Where are my Pentecostals at? Thank you, Lord. Try it, it's easy. Yes, thank you, Lord. He's a redeemer. He's bought you back from the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. You could never buy yourself back. He's bought you back. Thank you, Lord. He's strong. Whenever you see horn in the Bible, it means strong. Why? Because it's a ram's horn. You ever seen a ram's horn? Big, freaking scary looking things. Like, they'll stab you with those horns. Like, 
You know, we think of trumpets like little silver, like da da da. It's not those kind of trumpets. You get a big hairy priest, long beard, okay, manly robes, not a dress, all leather and fur, and right. <laughs> Smells like the Torah. It's incredible. Walking up to the city walls, carrying a ram's horn. It's probably four feet long. Stands up there. Like, listen to a shofar sometime. It's epic. Strong. Okay, you serve a strong God. Don't forget it. No wimpy Jesus for me. Right? You serve the strong God. He's strong. He's mighty to save. He's a savior. He's lifted up a horn of salvation. Not a horn of celebration. Not the horn to call you back to observe the Sabbath. A horn of salvation. Whoa! He's historical. In the house of our father, David. God is rooted in history. It's not some fake, make-believe story. I have stood in the remains of the Davidic castle in the city of Jerusalem. This is not a fairy tale. And he keeps his word as he promised. Friends, when God is in the highest place, we look to him first. And that is what we see. Blessed, visiting, redeemer, strong, savior, rooted in history and keeping his word. Somebody bless the Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you're having a hard time with your point of view this Christmas, make sure you're looking to the right God. The most high God. And never forget what he's done. Part two. Second section of looking back. Verses 71 through 75. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham. To grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. There's a beautiful distance here that I have to point out between the original context and our context. In the original context, Zechariah would have been prophesying about something that was to come. Okay, so he is looking forward prophetically to what Messiah will do. As Jesus' people, thousands of years removed from these events, we are looking back to what Jesus has already done. It's important for me to point out that Jesus did everything Zechariah prophesied and then some. He saved his people not just from the Romans. Come on, somebody preached this morning in this house. What did he save us from? Not just from the Romans. He saved us from the power of Satan, from the power of sin, from the power of death, and from the power of hell. Somebody bless the Lord in this house. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 71. He showed us mercy. What is mercy, pray tell? It's favor or merit that you don't deserve. What's the problem with mercy for Westerners? We only want what we think we deserve. We're hard-working people, by God. I want what I deserve. Did you know that's one of the most damnable attitudes you could ever have? Give me what I deserve. You really don't want what you deserve. (laughs) This is why the message of the gospel is so counter-cultural. I only want what I deserve. Oh, no, you don't. Verse 72, he showed us mercy, favor, or merit that is undeserved while we were yet sinners. Jesus Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. 
He's not only remembered us and the oath that he swore to Abraham, but even in saying these words in a Christian church, I am saying them based on the foundation of what I'm about to say. He has adopted us, a whole bunch of non-Israelites, into the new Israel, verse 73. There you go, I heard one person, bless the Lord, somebody down here. Thank you, Lord. You've been adopted into the family of God. Put that in your stocking. He gave us the gift of togetherness. Notice that he says that we, that we. He gives you the gift of togetherness, of deliverance, of purposeful fearlessness. Did you notice that in the text? That we might serve him without fear. It's in serving the Lord that fearlessness becomes the province of the people of God. To the degree to which your life is separated from the service of God that you are actually called to is the degree to which you will experience fear, even though, as one of God's people, fearlessness is your portion. If you're spending too much time doing too many things, divorced from what God has actually called you to do, is it any wonder that so many of us live in fear? Fearlessness is found in divine purpose. Your divine purpose is to serve the Lord. He's giving you the gift of holiness in Jesus and the ability to do the right thing as you copy Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Isn't that nice to know that it's not arcane, it's not complicated, it's not a, like a 117-point list? Just copy Jesus. Just co- copy Jesus. What did Jesus do? Well, you need to read your Bible to figure that one out. Copy, copy Jesus, knowing that you're in his sight forever. <laughs> Put that in your stocking. <laughs> Can somebody bless the Lord in this house? You're in the, thank you. You're in his sight forever. Thank you, Lord. Think, think about the fact that God is watching you always. Except not like some vindictive Santa Claus who sees when you are sleeping, who knows when you're awake. Okay, he's not watching you like that. But he who keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is not asleep at the wheel. Thank you, Lord. If you're having a hard time with your point of view this Christmas, spend some time recalling what God has done for you in Christ. And look forward with missional hope because Christmas is real. Part three. Here we look forward in missional hope. Why missional hope? Because in this section, Zechariah is prophesying about what his son John will will do. And what John will do is become the forerunner of the Messiah. He is joining the Messiah in Messiah's work. That's why we look forward in missional hope in verses 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people, in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the pathways 
of peace. Zechariah here is prophesying what his son John is going to do, and by extension, what the Messiah is going to do. So if you've ever wondered what the messianic future will look like, this is what the messianic future is going to look like. It will be grounded in God's word. You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High God. Okay, the messianic future is grounded in God's wordness. In fact, the pre-incarnate Christ was known as the Logos, the Word of God, second member of the Trinity, the Word that ushers from the Father to create all things. Okay, the messianic future is rooted in God's wordness. It's grounded in Messiah's most highness. You will be called the prophet of the most high God. I love the Bible. It's so encouraging. Just when you think it's okay to put something else above God, you hear these words echoing in your head. No, no, no. He's the most high God. The most high God. The messianic future is a future in which we will prepare his ways. Why? Because we are the people who follow the Messiah that John was the forerunner of. Like John, we are caught up in the ways of the Messiah. So look, if your life feels listless and irregular, it may be because you're serving the wrong master. (sighs) Thank you, Lord. Your future is meant to be spent giving knowledge of salvation to his people. We do this through action and then through confession. Can I just say something positive about election and adoption here? You're to give knowledge of salvation to his people. We always think about election and adoption as a bad thing. Like somehow there's like, these people are good people and everyone else are bad people. These are the sheep, those are the goats. These are going to sing, those are going to burn. Makes us very uneasy. Rightly so. Okay? The best way I have for dealing with somebody who's dealing with existential angst around the question of whether or not they belong to God or not, if you're even asking the question, it's a very good sign that he has adopted you into his family. Okay? I'm banking everything I am on the fact that the damned don't give a damn. So when I read the Bible saying that we're to give knowledge of salvation to his people, I, I consider that open season. I'm like, whoo, through my actions, when I get a chance to confess about it, I'm going to give knowledge whoo, whoo, of salvation to his people. And until you show me that you don't give a damn, I'm going to treat you like one of God's people because he's God and I'm not. And I don't know who's a sheep and who's a goat, so I'm going to just invite everybody I can, by my lifestyle and my words, to come to the table and feast. Because look, it may be dark out there, but the day spring is coming. Somebody help me out. Hallelujah, Lord. Ho, ho, ho! Woo! The day spring will visit us from on high. Friends, we live like the day has dawned in Jesus and the light is coming. And who's the light coming for? Those who sit in darkness. Which means us. You're like, no, I'm in the light, as he is in the light. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. We are not yet, but we shall be. For now we know in part and prophesy in part. But then we will know fully, even as we are fully known. Kind of. Kind of. It's twilight. It's dawn. It's the shadowlands. Thank you, Lord, for C.S. Lewis. 
<laughs> so we live like the dawn is on its way. We live like the light is coming. And what is the light coming to do for those who sit in darkness? It is coming to guide them into the pathways of peace. And has this ever been more needed than in our age of the world? Rooted in Jesus' unchanging wordness. Grounded in his most highness. Preparing his ways, giving knowledge of salvation to those who sit in darkness because the light is on its way. If you're having a hard time with your point of view this Christmas, start living every day from tomorrow on like that is your future. And worship team, you can join me because I'm done. Make sure you're looking to the right God. The most high God. Spend some time recalling what that God has done for you in Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. And live today like your future is now. Or put very simply, look back in faith to look forward in hope. Like your Cindy Lou who just met Jesus. <laughs>